You're listening to Midi Storytime, part of the Spare Change Library. This week we're reading the latest chapter of The Bride of the Tomb by Mrs. Alex McVeigh Miller. Chapter 24 Old Peter Leverett and Haiti, his wife, after much bickering and mutual recriminations attended by more or less pummeling and hair-pulling, had at last made an amicable adjustment of their difficulty regarding Mrs. Vance's secret. Old Haiti, termagant and spitfire though she was, found herself no match for the eternal reproaches and brutal usage of her thoroughly enraged husband, and eventually confessed herself the weaker vessel by yielding to the pressure of a stronger conjugal power and revealing the secret of her influence over Mrs. Vance, at the same time dividing her ill-gotten spoils with the incensed old ruffian. It is needless to say that old Peter's greedy soul was not content with these ill-gotten gains. He felt that the beautiful widow had not paid so far a tithe of what was due to himself and Haiti as the fortunate possessors of so fatal a secret. I tell you, Haiti, said he, the woman has got to come down heavily with the money, or I shall sell her secret to somebody who will pay a better price for it, perhaps to Mr. Lawrence or that young darling. Yes, and get yourself into a fatal difficulty, retorted the wife contemptuously. Let me tell you, Peter Leverett, that you have more brute strength than I have, but all the sense we own between us is in the head that rests on my shoulders. Suppose you tried to sell this secret to Lawrence or Darling. Where is your evidence against Mrs. Vance? Did you see her commit the murder? Did I see her commit it? Did Dr. Pratt see her either? No. To all of these questions, you have nothing to urge in support of your assertion except the bare suspicion of Dr. Pratt. And if you brought forward his name and got him into difficulty, why, he knows enough evil of us both to send us to the gallows tomorrow. Ha, ah, that word frightens you, does it? Well, Dr. Pratt would do it willingly if we got him into trouble. So I say to you, be content with what we can wring out of the woman's fears and let all else alone. She will prove a mine of wealth to us as long as we can make her believe that there was an actual eyewitness to her crime. Well, perhaps you are right, old woman, said Peter, dimly comprehending the indubitable force of her statements. You were always more cautious than I was, Haiti. Now don't understand me to imply that you have more sense than I have, for I don't admit it at all. I am more hasty than you, that is all. But I say, as I said before, Mrs. Vance has got to plank the money down more freely. But I have told you she has nothing of her own, stupid, retorted Haiti impatiently. She is dependent on Mr. Lawrence for every penny she gets. We must be satisfied with our small gains now, and wait until she gets the rich husband she is angling for. Then we shall reap our golden harvest. Aye, aye, but Haiti, write to the lady and tell her to come here tomorrow and bring all the gold she can lay her hands upon, said Peter with dogged persistency. So soon, said Haiti, hesitatingly. Her greed was as great as her husband's, but she had a fair modicum of caution and common sense. It is but a little while since she gave me the jewels, old man. No matter. Write to her again, I say, or it will be the worse for you, scowled Peter, wrinkling up his heavy brows ferociously. Accordingly, the note to Mrs. Vance was written and dispatched, and the pair of plotters awaited her coming impatiently, but they little anticipated what fatal results to themselves would follow that imperative summons. That letter awoke in Mrs. Vance a burning desire to be rid of the old couple, whose constant demands for money she would soon be entirely unable to meet. She had a hundred dollars in gold that Mr. Lawrence had kindly presented to her that morning, with a jesting reference to a new fall suit. Her wardrobe needed no replenishing and she could spare the sum to the rapacity of the old people. But she felt that no sooner would this be yielded to their greed than they would demand more. And where was the next hush money to come from? It was not probable that the banker would give her any more money before Christmas, and she could not ask him for more than what his own generosity bestowed on her. She had no claim upon his beneficence whatever, 
These two old harpies would be down upon her a dozen times before she would have another penny to give them. And as soon as they learned her inability to bribe them further, they would carry their fatal secret to Lancelot Darling or Mr. Lawrence. Mrs. Vance looked these difficulties in the face fairly and could see but one way out of them. The hideous old witch and her still more hideous old mate must die. No thrill of compunction or pity touched her heart as she made this fatal avowal to herself. On the contrary, she experienced a feeling of relief at the thought, mingled with a longing to consummate the deed quickly, that she might taste the sweetness of revenge. They must die. But how? Her fertile brain could suggest no feasible plan for the execution of the dreadful deed she was determined upon. All through that night she tossed on a sleepless pillow, revolving various schemes in her excited mind. Morning found her haggard and pale, and all her paints and cosmetics could not conceal her wretchedly ill appearance. She would not present that agitated mien at the breakfast table, and had her morning repast sent up to her room on the plea of a severe headache. At noon she dressed herself in a plain dark walking dress, wrapped a double veil about her head and face, and set forth upon her errand. She walked some distance, carefully selecting the most secluded streets and shunning observation. At length she went into a small apothecary shop and purchased from an inexperienced boy clerk some strychnine, which she said she wanted for the purpose of destroying rats. She paid for it, tucked the small parcel inside the palm of her dark kid glove, and walked on steadily to her destination. Old Peter and his wife had just sat down to their frugal dinner when her quick rap sounded on the hall door. They looked at each other apprehensively. It is she, no doubt, said he in a moment, so the jade is come at last. He had been swearing all the morning at her tardiness. Haiti got up and went to the door, unlocked it, admitted the visitor, and turned the key again. You see, I keep my engagements punctually, said Mrs. Vance, pleasantly, as she tripped in, although I barely expected to be called on so soon. The hostess only grunted in reply to this as she ushered the visitor into a low-sealed, bare-looking room, where old Peter sat blowing his cup of hot tea. He looked up and gave the newcomer a gruff nod. Mrs. Vance stood still a moment, taking in all her surroundings with a comprehensive glance. Then she took the chair Haiti offered her, and placing it in a position to suit herself, she sat down. She had seated herself sidewise from the table, but in close proximity to that corner of it on which sat the old brown teapot from whose cracked nozzle issued the fragrant steam of the hot tea. By raising her hand, she could have poured out a cup of the refreshing beverage for herself, but she smilingly declined the grim offer of the table's hospitalities that was made by the hostess. I thank you. I do not wish for a morsel of food, but I shall be glad of a glass of fresh cold water. I have walked the whole distance, and I am very tired and thirsty. Haiti arose, and taking a small white pitcher from the cupboard in the corner, went out to the well. At the same moment, old Peter arose, and taking his plate in hand, hobbled to the stove for a portion of the mutton chop that had been left in the frying pan for warmth. In that moment, Mrs. Vance saw her opportunity. Her hand fluttered over the lid of the teapot and raised it noiselessly, while a quantity of white powder was poured from her other hand into the smoking hot beverage. It was but the work of a moment. When the host hobbled back to his place, she was leaning back in her chair, her hands folded over her lap, and a look of bland unconsciousness on her handsome face. Her nerves seemed steeled against emotion. Old Haiti entered, and pouring a glass of water, offered it in silence. She took it and drained it thirstily with profuse thanks. "'Have you brought us any money?' asked old Peter, sharply, looking up from his voracious feeding. "'What if I have not?' she retorted, jestingly. "'Then it will be the worse for you, my fine lady,' he answered, threateningly. Old Haiti had resumed her place at the head of the table. "'Pray go on with your dinner,' said the visitor, in a patronizing tone. 
The old woman poured a fresh cup of tea for her husband, diluted it plenteously with milk and coarse brown sugar, then replenished her own cup. At the moment when the old man was greedily gulping his portion down, Mrs. Vance put her hand into her pocket and drew out a netted purse of shining gold coin. Here is a hundred dollars I was fortunate enough to get for you, said she, handing it reluctantly over to the woman. And you must understand that I cannot possibly get another penny for you before Christmas, so try and economize it the best you can. Haiti gulped her tea down hurriedly as she clutched the purse, and the old man hurried around to his wife's side. Divide fair is my motto, said he. Give me the purse, Haiti, and I will count it for you. No, you don't, old man, she answered, resolutely holding on to it while her husband's fingers worked eagerly. I will count it myself. Not a coin will I ever see again if I trust this purse in your itching fingers. She poured out the shining mass upon the table and began to count it over carefully, but the sight of it was too much for the grasping soul of the old miser looking on. He thrust out his open claw-like fingers and hastily gathered the whole pile into his greedy clutch, except for one or two coins which escaped and rolled down upon the floor. In an instant, his wife sprang up and bounded upon him like a wildcat. There ensued a furious battle that defied description. Mrs. Vance retreated hurriedly to the door and stood at a safe distance watching the couple as they fought over the gold that was clutched in Peter's fingers, placing him somewhat at a disadvantage for Haiti, with both hands at liberty, pulled and tore and bit with the ferocity of a wild animal. At length, old Peter's tight grasp relaxed, the treasured gold fell from his grasp and rolled here and there upon the floor. Haiti felt him writhing in her clasp, and loosened the hold she had upon his throat and suffered him to fall upon the floor. He lay there, rolling and tossing and uttering hideous groans, while dreadful contortions passed over his features. "'You have killed your husband, woman! Look at his throat, purple from the clasp of your hands!' cried Mrs. Vance from the doorway, laughing aloud at the shocked, incredulous stare of the woman as she gazed at her writhing husband. At that moment the suffering man gave a furious plunge, rose to a sitting posture, gave a hideous rattle from his throat, and fell backward with a dull thud on the bare floor. He was dead. Old Haiti stooped over the still form like one dazed. Is he really dead? she said in wonder, feeling that it could not be true. Have I actually killed my old man? Yes, you have killed him, answered Mrs. Vance with a fiendish laugh. Ha ha, old woman, what is your fatal secret worth now? You too are a murderess. Old Haiti stood still for a moment, utterly stunned and bewildered by the suddenness of the blow that had fallen upon her. But as she gazed at the triumphant face of her enemy, her dazed senses seemed to clear, and a perception of the truth rushed upon her. You lie, she shrieked in a voice of horrible rage and despair. Devil, you have poisoned him, and me too, I see it all now. You sent me out for the water while you drugged the tea. But I will have my revenge before I die. With a dreadful oath, she sprang forward. The affrighted woman retreated before her, but old Haiti was too quick for her. In a moment her strong, claw-like fingers were fastened about the fair neck of the beautiful woman. In another moment her sinful soul would have been sent forth to its dread account with heaven, but before that critical instant arrived the old witch fell backward on the hard floor, writhing in the agonies that had destroyed her husband. The widow stepped a few paces back out of reach of her victim, and stood regarding her with a smile of wicked triumph while the witch, amid her dying groans, hurled the most awful maledictions upon her destroyer. Ha ha! laughed Mrs. Vance, enjoying her revenge to the utmost limit. Did you think you could play with fire and not be burned? Did you think I would destroy a beautiful and valued life like that of Lily Lawrence, yet suffer two worn-out old hulks to stand between me and my cherished purpose? Ha ha! You realize your folly now! Her words fell on deaf ears. 
Old Haiti had expired in horrible agonies while the jeers and taunts of her destroyer yet echoed in her hearing. She lay inside the doorway where she had fallen, a hideous spectacle of death. Mrs. Vance lifted her foot and spurned the still body with all the intensity of the hate that burned in her heart. They are both dead, she said aloud. My evil genius has helped me. I am safe now. She stepped across old Hades' body with a slight thrill of repulsion, and entering the room, picked up her purse and began to collect the scattered gold coins. I may as well have my money again, she thought to herself. I need not be in a hurry to get away. No one ever comes here, I am sure. She placed the last coin in the purse and paused to look around her. Old Peter's ghastly dead face met her view. The wicked eyes, wide open and staring, seemed to threaten her as in life. A shiver of deadly fear thrilled along her veins, seeming to freeze them. Great God, she exclaimed, what if my sins should find me out? She lifted her slender white hands and regarded them fixedly. There is blood upon my hands, she said with an irrepressible shudder. They look fair and white, but they have sent three human souls into the presence of their creator. Pshaw! Why do I pause to reflect here? Let me cover up the traces of my crime and go. She took up the shovel, and opening the door of the stove, pulled out a quantity of blazing firebrands and scattered them recklessly upon the bare floor, tossing one so close to the body of old Peter that his shock of red hair was ignited and burned with a disagreeable stench. Mrs. Vance turned away with such a laugh as a fiend might have loved to hear, and hurried from the house, leaving the door, which she hastily unlocked, partly ajar. It does not matter, she thought to herself, no one will discover them. The old shell of a house will ignite from the brands directly and burn down to the ground. Drawing her veil tightly over her face, she hurried away over the lonely road. About half a mile from the old house, she met a man riding on horseback through the route she was leaving. He scrutinized the solitary woman keenly, but could make nothing of her thickly shrouded features, and rode onward. Some wayfarer, she thought carelessly, and hurried on, eager to leave the hated vicinity of her double crime. That concludes this week's installment of The Bride of the Tomb. This production of The Bride of the Tomb features the voice talents of Laura Bang and Damien Katz. Chris Hallberg voices the intro and outro narratives. The theme music is The Guava Rag by Brett Donnelly. Midi Storytime in the Spare Chains Library produced by Lancelot Darling and Friends. This podcast is brought to you by DimeNovels.org, the Edward T. LeBlanc Memorial Dime Novel Bibliography.